0: Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that what you've been what we thank you for what you've been doing in our hearts and in our church. We thank you as was prayed just a few minutes ago for everything that you've done this past year in twenty nineteen. And all that we and we're we thank you in advance for everything that you will do in this coming year, in twenty twenty. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. An epitaph on someone's gravestone is supposed to give a summation of someone's life. Sometimes it gives a description of different roles a person played in life. Sometimes it lists accomplishments that somebody did in their life. Sometimes it just gives the year's lived. That's it. The name, the year they were born, and the year they died. I wonder if someone, if someone gave an honest summation of your life right now, an epitaph, so to speak, what would it say right now? So-and-so is living a life of selfishness and self-centeredness. Is that what we would want our epitaph to read? So-and-so is living a life chasing after the fleeting things of this world. So-and-so is wasting his or her life on pointless things. So and so is being faithful to God and examining his or her life daily to surrender more and more of it to him. What would it read if somebody wrote a summation of your life? If you want a summation of God's plan of redemption for humankind and a summation of Jesus's role in that, you can look no further than Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We can see God's plan in the past. We see His plan in the present. And Jesus' position in that plan because of His role in it. Our passage this morning, to a certain degree, is Jesus' list of accomplishments, so to speak. And so the first point that we have this morning is the past. If you brought your Bible with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. If you didn't, that should be, that's, that's fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn there. Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to be in verses uh, 1 through 4. We'll start with verse 1 here. And we read, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many uh, portions and in many ways. So what was it that God spoke about? Well, he spoke about his love. He spoke about his faithfulness. He spoke about His instruction, His patience, His expectations, His redemption, His forgiveness, His anger at people's sins sometimes. But most importantly, God spoke, God's message was about faith in the redeeming work of the coming Messiah, the coming Deliverer. We start this message out, this whole Bible message, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Men's Bible study has been going through the book of Genesis. Youth group has been going through the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, the first two created human beings, enjoy a harmonious relationship with God. The scripture says that God would go on walks with them in the Garden of Eden. That's how close they were together. One of the angels who rebelled against Almighty God, an angel named Lucifer, was cast out of heaven along with a third of the heavenly angels. From that point on, Lucifer, renamed Satan or Adversary, made it his life's purpose to destroy the pinnacle of God's creation and to distract them from a right relationship with God. And who's that? That's us. Humanity. The utopia humans enjoyed with God all came crashing down the day that Eve was deceived by Satan in the disguise of a snake and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, also giving some of the fruit to Adam, the representative of mankind to eat as well, thus showing God that his creation loved themselves more than him and placing a curse on themselves. The ultimate result of this curse, as God had warned humanity but already before this, was death. But right then, even in the midst of one of the darkest times on the face of planet Earth, God had already set in motion a spark of redemption, a glimpse of His love, a whisper to the future. It's been referenced that in Genesis 3.15, God declares to Satan in the form of a serpent, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You might be sitting here, what, what on earth is, was God talking about and how does that relate to humanity and any spark of redemption of humanity? How is that related to the Messiah? How is that related to Jesus? Isn't this simply talking about human strained relationship with icky, and sometimes dangerous snakes? That's what it would seem like on the surface, right? It's been shown by the following reasons why this prophecy is about a coming Messiah. Firstly, how could a, s- a serpent, who is not inherently evil, as God said, all that he created was good, first of all, talk? And why would he be interested in tempting Eve if it was just a plain, plain old serpent? Why would he be interested in tempting Eve? Well, it's obvious that just as the serpent should be seen as Satan himself and dwelt with Satan, the declaration made by God should be seen as a statement between the offspring of Eve and the offspring of who then? Satan, Satan himself. The pronoun the pronoun, excuse me, the pronoun here before will strike your head and the pronoun connected to heels is actually a singular pronoun in the Hebrew. This singular pronoun and further an expectation that it will be a man is confirmed by Eve when she believes that her firstborn son is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Boy, was she wrong, wasn't she? She says when Cain is born, literally as has been noted, I have gotten a man child, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Eve understood what this prophecy meant. She understood that God was referring to a singular man. But far misapplied who that man was supposed to be when she thought it to be Cain. So this man, an offspring of Eve, was going to be struck by Satan symbolically by a death blow. Even though the the male offspring would receive a death blow by Satan, also included in this declaration is the statement that Satan will be ultimately crushed by this male descendant of Eve. So here in Genesis 3.15, we have the first message that Hebrews 1.1 is referring to, given by God Himself, that there will be a singular male descendant that even though momentarily dead, will ultimately destroy humanity's enemy, Satan himself. We go through the rest of Genesis, and it's been noted that the line of this descendant is traced from one of Eve's sons, Seth, to Noah in Genesis chapter 5. Then that descendant is traced from Noah to Abraham in Genesis 10-11. through Throughout the rest of Genesis, that descendant is traced from Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to one of Jacob's 12 sons named Judah. Towards the end of Genesis, it's been referenced that Jacob calls his 12 sons into his bedside as he's dying and gives this message to Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of, your Bible might say, Shiloh until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. It's been shown that the male descendant is given a name, Shiloh, meaning peacemaker, or as it's rendered here, to whom it rightfully belongs. Shiloh will be given the obedience of the peoples, not just one type of people, but all peoples. Shiloh will be given universal dominion. God gives messages about the universal kingdom of Shiloh, of the Messiah, and the writings of Psalms. And in Psalm chapter 2 we read, But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger He rebukes them, terrifying them with His fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed My chosen king, Shiloh, on the throne in Jerusalem, on My holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant and then we read the promise, but what joy for all who take refuge in him. It's been referenced at the prophet Isaiah, speaking years after the death of King David, who wrote this psalm. talks about a shoot sprouting out of the stem of David's father, Jesse. This is what we talked about uh, on Christmas Eve, and we, wrote, we read, out of the stump of David's family. Everybody thought it was done. Everybody thought the tree of David's family line was gone. It was just a stump. But out of the stump of David's dynasty will grow a shoot that little shoot of hope. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In other words, the Messianic King, the Deliverer, will come from the line of David and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The prophet Isaiah, it's been referenced, also gives an extraordinary prophecy concerning the Messiah. We've talked about this uh, throughout this Christmas season. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on His shoulders. And He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And His government and its peace will never he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen the passionate commitment so is anything going to thwart this plan no no This eternal king coming from the line of David will have an eternal kingdom of peace. And he will be born as any child would be born and be mighty God. All of these messages came from God, as it says in Hebrews 1 1, through many different people and in many different ways, as we've just seen. But those are just a few. But the most important prophecies in the Old Testament are ones like Isaiah 53, where we read, but He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush Him and cause Him grief. Yet when His life is made an offering for sin, He will have many descendants. All of us sitting here, can declare that, be a descendant of Him. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in His hands. The same good plan that made it that He crushed him and caused him grief. When He sees all that is accomplished by His anguish, He will be satisfied, be all worth it. And because of His experience, my righteous servant, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for He will bear all their sins. The King will reign, but first He had to suffer and die as restitution for the sins of mankind. His punishment can make us whole. His wounds can bring us healing. The guilt He bore for us can make us righteous, What king would do that for his people? Yet our king has done that for us. And because of that, we owe him everything. The Bible is an incredible message from God to people, if you actually read it. It's it's a powerful message from God to humanity, if you actually read it. Just as God spoke to humankind through people in the past, now He speaks to us through the second Adam, the fulfillment of what humans were supposed to be, His Son. And so we have the past, what, who God spoke through before, and what He spoke about, and now we have the present. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Jesus said this Himself when He said to His disciples, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me? The words I speak are not My own, but My Father who lives in Me does His work through Me. If you want to hear God's message to you, don't listen to anyone else but Jesus. There's, a very, there's very similar language between verse 2 that we just read in John chapter 1. The Apostle John says there, God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The author of Hebrews says, of course, in verse one, chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 2, that God created the world through the Son. What does this mean? It means that all three persons... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had a hand in the creation of the world. It's been pointed out that Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. What else has Jesus been described as in John chapter 1? In John chapter 1, Jesus is also described as the Word. It's been noted that the Word is the archetype of the universe. That which holds it all together. And guess who was there at the beginning of it? The Word. Jesus has always been the power of the Word of God from creation to visiting Abraham and other people in order to bring them messages from God to telling His followers what the Father told Him to say. Jesus is the manifestation of God. No one has ever seen God except for the Son. As such, He is the revelation of God and the Word of God and therefore that which was used to create the world. Jesus is also the heir of everything, as Hebrews 1-2 says. And you might say, well, that's all well and good for Him. That's nice. But this is extremely important because Romans eight sixteen through 17 says, For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But just as Christ had to suffer and be an heir of God's glory, if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. If Jesus is an heir of everything, then that's fantastic news for us as God's children, having given our lives to God through Jesus Christ and having been filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you try to stay away from suffering for Christ? think it's not worth it? Do you try to live your life in striving for comfort? Or do you try to live your life in striving for bearing the message of Christ to this world? If you would rather chase after worldly stability than put yourself out there and talk to others about Christ, then what Romans is very clear about is we have no place in Christ's inheritance. There's no reward if you don't risk the suffering. That's a very sobering but important thought. If you think about it, our church will die if we are not out there doing our part in the Great Commission. Which is, quick reminder, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And, I love this, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. I will always be with you. You will not be acknowledged by Jesus if you don't acknowledge him to other people now. Mark 8 is very clear about that. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when He returns in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Very sobering, but very important verses. And as we start this new year, things to not neglect, things to not forget, things to not sweep under the rug, but to always keep in the forefront of our minds. Are you living your life to suffer for Christ and bearing the message of His salvation and hope to the world? Or are you trying to hide behind neutrality or even the comforts of this world? What are we doing? What are we doing with our lives? How are we living? As we we look into this new year, it's always a perfect opportunity to take a look at our lives and say, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing? What am I living for? I want you to see the advantage that you guys sitting in the pews right here have. You don't have to be a pastor to tell others about Jesus. In fact, it's better in a lot of ways that you're not a pastor. Because you're seen as a regular person. And people will actually listen to you. You have different circles of people that only you can reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have different circles of neighbors and coworkers and friends and family that you can reach and you can tell about what God has done in your life. I can mobilize you. the Holy Spirit will equip you, but you have to go out there and actually do it. You may lose friends. You may be disowned by family, but Jesus said he was very clear about it. He said, "I did not come to bring peace to this world. I came to bring a sword to this world." And what he meant by that is he came to bring division. That there will be some in your family that love Jesus and there will be some who don't, and there will be division, and that's okay. Because that's why Jesus came. There will be you will lose friends, and that's okay because what is truly important You not telling them the truth that will save their souls? Or you just having that friend still? Again, the beginning of the year is always a perfect time for us to take a hard look at things. For us to ask the hard questions about our lives. You may be seen as stupid, as crazy, or a complete weirdo, but no matter what happens... You can rest assured that you have an eternal inheritance from your Father. What's truly important in this life, brothers and sisters? Let me ask you something else. Is this world our home? No. Are we just merely strangers passing through? Yes. We have an eternal home that we're looking forward to. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Are you focused on building treasure in heaven? Are you focused on getting the word of His gospel out? No matter what the cost. Are you focused on suffering for Him so that you can receive the eternal inheritance? What is truly important in your life? So we have the past. We have the present. And thirdly, we have Jesus' position in it. This makes all the difference in the world. Verses 3-4. through And He is the radiance of His glory in the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as He has inherited a more excellent name than they. This is the hope that we have in knowing this person, in knowing Jesus. This is why you don't have to fear what man can do to you. He is the radiance of His glory in the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He he had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. That is our hope. That is our hope in knowing that person. Again, the author of Hebrews uses similar language to the Apostle John, referring to Jesus as the light, not only of the world, but the light of God's glory, the representation, the manifestation of that. The prophet Isaiah said he was despised and avoided by others. A man who suffered, he knew sickness well. Like someone from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we didn't even think about him. We didn't give him a second thought. That whole time people despised and didn't think about Jesus. He was actually the light, the representation of God's glory. Let us not make the same mistake. Think of all they missed out on. Think of all we miss out on when we neglect to spend time with Jesus. Think of all the spiritual riches we miss out on because we don't want to meditate on God's Word. There are more important things to do. We have a lot more busier things to do than spend time with Jesus and and glean spiritual riches from His Word that will grow us, that will strengthen us, that will teach us, that will make us different people. Absorb the glory of God and mind the Word of God for all it's worth. Again, what is truly important in this life Receiving the riches that can only come from seeking God. Did you know that? There are lots and lots of riches that only come from seeking God. And I'm not talking about physical riches. I'm talking about spiritual riches. I'm talking about spiritual peace and mental peace, psychological peace, physical healing. Thinking about things the way that God wants you to think about them. Not, be, not being ruled by anxiety and fear. And having the courage to give everything up to Him. These are all spiritual riches that so, nobody can describe to you fully. You have to experience them yourself. And you can only experience them if you're mining the Word of God for all it's worth. Not only is Jesus the light of the glory of God, He is the imprint of Of God's being. It's been shown that the word for imprint or exact representation or exact expression or express image is the Greek word character with a K. And it has a meaning of words or symbols carved into a stamp so that what is stamped with that tool has the same exact shape as what was carved into that tool. That's the word that's used here for Jesus representing God. So Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Isn't that awesome? Everything of who Almighty God is, Jesus is. Because he's the exact imprint of God the Father. You might say that Jesus is the fingerprint of God. When you're fingerprinted, that is how you're identified, aren't you? You can either be convicted or exonerated by fingerprints left at a crime scene. Just on that simple evidence. In other words, Jesus is identified as everything God is because He is God. Verse 3 says that Jesus maintains or upholds everything by the power of His message or His Word. Again, Jesus is the power of God's Word. So the power that created the world is the same power that holds it all together. Nothing takes God by surprise. Jesus holds that same authority. Here was Jesus' ultimate mission. It wasn't to do a bunch of miracles. It wasn't to kick the Romans out and set up a physical kingdom right then and there. It wasn't to spout off some nice sayings. It was to cleanse people from their sins. This is an outright fulfillment of Isaiah 53.12. When after the Messiah suffered on mankind's behalf, it's written, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Also, it's been noted in connection with the reigning Messiah king, Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. It is here that Jesus is today, as we just read in Hebrews chapter 1, seated at the right hand of God, having received a more important title than the angels, as it says in Hebrews 1.4. Jesus has completed His mission of sacrifice and will complete His mission of King. Why is that important? Because Jesus says in Mark 14, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's what's coming next. Right now He's seated at the place of power at God's right hand and what's coming next is coming on the clouds of heaven. That's what's coming next. While Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, He's not always going to be there. He will be coming to earth again, and this time it will be as King. So do you want to kneel before King Jesus out of fear for not having lived your life for Him with your time on earth now? Or do you want to do it out of excitement that your King has returned? These are not messages meant to simply expand our knowledge of the Scriptures. Say, well, that was nice, and leave this place, get in our cars and drive home, and nothing happens. But they're messages to change. God's Word changes. As we look forward into 2020, don't cut yourself off from it. Don't ignore it. Be driven to give up sins. Be driven to give up things that ensnare you. Be driven to cling to the hope your salvation gives to you in Jesus Christ. Again, what is most important in this life? I want to close our time as we transition to the Lord's table from Second Peter chapter 3. And he says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the, that in the last days scoffers will come. Mocking the truth and following their own desires. That's no surprise to any one of us, huh? They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? You keep saying it's going to happen. When's it going to happen? I don't see it happening. I don't think it's ever going to happen. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It's just the same old, same old, same old. And you want to tell me that everything is going to change in the future? Not going to happen. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. Don't fall into that trap. Don't be deceived by that. No. He's being patient for your sake. The mercy of God. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come. That's not going to stop that from happening. The day of the Lord will come. As unexpectedly as a thief. It's going to come. So, what's the practical instruction? In light of all of that, what holy and godly lives we should live. And that's how we are starting our year. In light of everything that has happened, the past, what is happening right now, the present, where Jesus is and what he's doing, and and, and him saving us from our sins, and the mission that he has given to each and every one of us, and the job and the work that he has given to each and every one of us to get that message out about his gospel mission. What's going to happen, the future, that the king will return, And what that means in our personal lives as we live every day from this day forward going into this new year, what holy and godly lives you shall live. Again, brothers and sisters, what is most important, what is truly important in this life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it gives to us as we move on from this day. This first Sunday of 2020, we move further and further into this year. I pray that this message would reverberate not only in our minds but also in our hearts and reverberate out of us and create waves in those around us that they would see and hear and see radical change in our lives and wonder what in the world is going on in that person's life and what a perfect opportunity we have to tell them about what in the world is going on in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you are our hope. We thank you that our hope has nothing to do with this world. We thank you that the, that our hope has nothing to do with the darkness of this present time. Oh Lord, our hope is transcendent. Our hope is beyond that. Our hope is in you. You pay the price for our sins. You give us life and you will return for us someday. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.